It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I am, as always, your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can find this show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, like Spotify, Himalaya, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, what have you. And if you don't like any of those things, or if you don't want to be looking at your phone, maybe you're a commuter, you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. And today, we are talking all Chicago Bears all day. This is going to be the last time that I get to talk to you before the Bears game actually happens. The next show will be the recap of that game that comes out Monday morning. Uh, So let's dive into it. And what we always start with on this episode is the injury report. We get to see the first injury report, the Wednesday one I have seen at time of this recording. So I can at least tell you how things have started out. And it's pretty optimistic. Right now, Mackenzie Alexander is back to practice. That's the biggest change or at least the biggest positive change, that's ahead of schedule. The way that I understand, you know, how, like, dislocated elbows work, that means that maybe it's not as bad as uh, I was at least originally led to believe. That's awesome news. Getting Mackenzie Alexander back would be a huge boon to the defense, though I don't really see a need to rush him. Uh, You know, with Mike Hughes now back in playing and J. Ron Kirst kind of playing out of his skull when he gets on the field, didn't get on the field a lot uh, against Oakland, which is interesting. But that cornerback room is starting to fill back out kind of nicely, and we, we don't have to, like, keep you know, watching like the waiver wire and who's out there and, you know, what washed up veteran can we go bring back? What's B'nai Ben Wickery? We don't have to like think about all that stuff anymore now that uh, some of the actual quality cornerbacks that the team has spent so much on are, are starting to, you know, file back into the roster. It's really nice. Anthony Barr also practiced. He missed the Oakland Raiders game with a groin injury. Uh, he practiced on Wednesday and then sat out Thursday and then practiced on Friday, ended up te- being a game-time decision. He tested it the morning of the game and then decided not to go. He was actually asked about it. He says, I feel great. I'm totally going to go. So he seems very optimistic to play. That's obviously a huge deal, although the Vikings defense didn't seem to miss him too bad. Eric Wilson had a, had a pretty nice day. Uh, I, I go like back and forth on him, I know, but I, I thought he made a few mistakes, looked like a backup, but he was a good, very good for a backup. Obviously can't replace the effect that Anthony Barr has as a pass rusher and as an extraordinarily underrated coverage linebacker. Uh, it'll be great to have him back. On the flip side, however, Josh Klein is in the concussion protocol, which is a bit of a bummer. Of course, he, if you saw the play where he got injured, he took a knee directly to the head. So that is definitely going to put you in the process. We'll see what happens. He's not. He didn't practice on Wednesday. Of course, that's the kind of thing where you know you can be cleared on Saturday before the game and go, or maybe you have to sit one out. And Dakota Dozier would play. Uh, my speculation is that if Dakota Dozier does play, then Brett Jones gets activated in Josh Klein's place. And then if there's another injury somewhere on the interior, then uh, Dakota Dozier and Brett Jones would. Uh, take over those duties in some combination. I'm not sure, you know, if it depends on who gets injured, right? Maybe maybe Dozier moves over to, like, left guard if, if Elfline goes down or something like that. Uh, that's probably what would happen if Josh Klein doesn't go, but again, it's just something that we'll have to watch and monitor as we get closer to the game. There are, of course, other nicks and scratches all over the team, but what I actually want to talk about is the other injury report. The Bears injury report also came out, and I should probably be going over those on on, uh, this episode as well. And there's a couple of really, really important things to talk about. So Akeem Hicks, nose tackle extraordinaire, or is he a three-technique? Defensive tackle extraordinaire uh, on the the Bears. He made mincemeat of Pat Elfline both games 
that the Vikings played the Bears in uh, last time. He has all kinds of highlights of throwing various Vikings linemen onto the ground. He's a wrecking ball. He's an unbelievable player. He does that to every team, not just the Vikings, uh, but it's particularly bad against guys like, you know, like Tom Compton and stuff. He hurt his knee in the uh, Washington game in FedEx Field, uh, the, the place that claims many a knee, also claimed the knee of their kicker, Eddie Pinheiro. That is a really interesting thing to watch, although I don't think they have another kicker on the roster right now, which probably tells us that they feel pretty good about it. Uh, but those two players are obviously very important to look at, if only just because Chicago's had such a, a large and a loud kicker drama. Uh, you know, their kicker drama has been louder than the Vikings kicker drama, which is saying quite a lot. And adding a whole other chapter to that would definitely like have an impact, I think, especially just like mentally, you know, you're just entering such a cursed situation. Uh, but back to Akeem Hicks, missing him, you'd think would be a huge impact. And it, it totally is there. You know, Akeem Hicks is not like a replaceable player. However, they have a rotational defensive tackle who would take over the snaps in Akeem Hicks's stead named Roy Robertson Harris, who has looked really, really nice. He's totally a starting quality player. So it's not that much of a reprieve if Akeem Hicks doesn't go, though it would still like definitely represent some level of a decline. But I mean, it's not like you're going to go up against like PJ Hall again. Like I would take Roy Robertson Harris over most of the people that Oakland put up against the Vikings in week three. And elsewhere in the concussion protocol, there is Taylor Gabriel, the, I would guess, wide receiver too, like the second option, I guess, after Allen Robinson on the Bears uh, is in the concussion protocol. So that's another thing to watch. Of course, taking away weapons from Mitch Trubisky makes a bad situation worse. If you listened yesterday on Crossover Wednesday, you heard Lauren Cox talk about that passing situation and all the different issues that are presented there. A lot of them are Mitch Trubisky. There's some issues along the offensive line there and taking away a weapon just like exacerbates all that stuff further. Now, before I get into some of the deeper analysis of the Bears and how the Vikings match up with them, I want to talk to you about Blinkist. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books. All the books you could ever want and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for you, our lovely listeners. Go to Blinkist.com slash locked on to try it for free for seven days and then save 25% off of your new subscription. And hey, maybe you are planning on going to a Vikings game in the near-ish future. And for that, I may I recommend to you the Vivid Seats app. You can go get it at the App Store or, or Google Play. It has all of the events, not only games, but concerts, shows, comedy, whatever you like all sortable by price, row, section, so you know you can get exactly what you want. It's an online ticket exchange marketplace. But the trick with Vivid Seats is that as soon as you buy something on Vivid Seats, you are enrolled in a fan rewards loyalty program. And every time you buy tickets on Vivid Seats, you earn credit toward your next seats. Buying tickets to any event is all about making memories with your friends, your family, those important to you. But why do it in a way that makes it that much harder for you to make your next memories? So go check out Vivid Seats right now. And hey, you can enter promo code KICKOFF at checkout and you can get up to a $100 discount. So go check out the Vivid Seats apps right now and change the way that you buy your tickets. And if you can't find your way out to a game, maybe you just want a reason to watch a game that isn't a Vikings game or one you otherwise wouldn't care about. And nothing raises the stakes like putting a little bit of money down on who you think is going to win. And for that, why don't you go to mybookie.ag to place your bets. It is an awesome website. I'm speaking from personal experience. I really love the way that it's put together. Super easy to navigate, find exactly what you want to bet on, enter how much you want to bet on it, and that is it. All you have to do then is sit back and wait for your bet to cash. 
MyBookie has all of the bets that you classically think of. You can bet over-unders, you can bet the spread, you can bet the money line. You can even try parlays where you pick multiple games at a time and you need all of them to go your way to win the bet. But if it goes that way, you can multiply your money exponentially. And of course, we have a promo code. If you enter promo code Locked On as you sign up, MyBookie will double your first deposit. That's free gambling money. So quit wasting time. Go cash in on all of that football smarts. I know you guys all have. Go to mybookie.ag right now. Remember, promo code locked on. Okay, so let's get into the Bears, and a lot of this is primed by Crossover Wednesday, which we did yesterday with Lauren Cox of Locked on Bears. He comes with a much uh, more familiar perspective than I could ever have, so do go listen to that. His perspective is awesome, and I I learned a bunch about the Bears in that interview, and that led me to go do some of my own research, and here is kind of where I stand on a lot of the different matchups and and places on the field here. So where I want to start is with the Bears on offense, because I think that that is much more the, like, enigma I basically spent all week talking about the Vikings on offense and, uh, you know, the Bears on defense have been around kind of the same personnel for a while. Not a lot has changed there except for the coaching, which has kind of deliberately stayed the way that they did things with Vic Fangio because, you know, if it ain't broke. Uh, So there's not as much to talk about there. So I'm going to save that to the end. I want to start with Mitch Trubisky and the Bears on offense and how the Vikings defense matches up with it because this matchup has kind of been defined. This has happened four times now. We've played the Mitch Trubisky iteration of the Bears. And to me, it always seems defined by Mitch Trubisky making plays with his legs. He, I don't think he really beats teams through the air. And that is really, I'll post uh, in the show notes his next-gen stats chart. And that, I think, displays kind of two uh, narratives. So what next-gen stats does is basically they just do a chart of where he threw to and if it was complete or incomplete, right? It kind of gives you a visualization of, like, all the throws that Mitch Trubisky has actually tossed and how they went. I think it's really nice. It's, it's, you know, a a different picture than you get by looking at, like, a boiled-down number, like, passer rating or any kind of stat or anything like that. And the first thing that really jumps out to you is that a lot of his passes are are short. If you just go browse through, you look at like Deshaun Watson or Pat Mahomes, they're pushing the ball downfield a little bit more, a little bit more. Hmm, I wonder why I brought those two guys up. You know, just a random example. First two guys that came to mind, nothing to see here. Um, But they, they tend to push the ball a little bit more downfield. And by the way, those guys are creating plenty with their legs as well. So what Mitch Trubisky doesn't have is, is it seems like Matt Nagy doesn't trust him. And this kind of echoes something that Lauren Cox talked about and something that's been kind of following the bears around another one of those like Christian Pond esque narratives. All those narratives seem really, really similar to the way that the Vikings were talking about their quarterback situation in 2013. And on top of that, I think the Bears rank something like 7th or 6th in terms of uh, quickly getting rid of the ball. The PFF actually tracks like the time it takes from snap to throw, and they're in the top 10. So they are throwing a lot of really short quick passes designed to get yards after the catch. With Allen Robinson, he's a little bit more of a deep threat, but with, like, Taylor Gabriel and Tariq Cohen on your team and, like, Trey Burton, I, that kind of makes sense considering the personnel and considering the uh, the style that Matt Nagy was famous for in college and with the Chiefs in the time he was there. It all does kind of make sense, like, schematically that it's, like, what they would want to do, but it also does a little bit suggest a lack of trust in their quarterback and who can blame them because the other thing you see is that there's a lot of inaccuracy. And, and, you know, we saw this in both of the seasons that Mitch Trubisky played 2017 and 2018 in his uh, respective QB annual uh, entries, the PFF, like, giant charting project where they actually do chart accuracy and, and it gives you all kinds of awesome information. And that information reflects horribly on the Bears quarterback. 
And of course you see a much higher volume of throws to the right than to the left, which, uh, you know, propagates a certain narrative. But I, I think that that narrative is a little bunk. I mean, it's a hilarious joke, and I'm not going to stop making the joke because it's awesome and fun. But I, I think that the narrative is really that Mitch Trubisky can't throw, and also that includes throws to the left. So if you just segment out the throws to the left, it looks like he can't throw left. But if you place them amongst throws to the right and to the middle, the left throws don't stand out as any worse. It's just just kind of all bad. So I, I think that really what I'm getting at here is that Mitch Trubisky shouldn't beat you through the air. He, he is not an accurate enough quarterback to beat the Vikings and to, you know, take advantage of those really tight throwing windows in the way that Aaron Rodgers did in week two in that first quarter. He took advantage of some really, really tight windows. He threw some almost perfect passes, even some perfect passes that were defense just because the Vikings were in good position. It actually kind of seemed like a strength on strength thing going on there. I think if you stay in reasonable man coverage against Allen Robinson and whatever other idiots the Bears put out there, you will make throwing windows that are too tight for Mitch Trubisky to hit consistently, and I don't think they'll be able to move the ball. The only way you screw this up is by letting them move the ball on the ground. And that's kind of what the Bears talk. I mean, I don't know. It feels like every coach says, like, we want to run the ball this year. And that's, you know, and not really, like, in the way that the Vikings' is, like whole narrative was, but I feel like every coach is like, we want to be a tough physical team. It's like well, just one of those platitudes you, like, spew out at the combine when you're done answering questions. But that really hasn't been the case for the Bears. Even though they've been ahead in, a, in, a, in at least in, in the Monday night game, they were ahead. And it seems like their running game is just kind of not as potent. I guess, especially as what we've been seeing, but even at like what we've been going up against. Like, I think the Raiders have a better running game and the Vikings shut, da- shut that down. But what really will get you is Mitch Trubisky escaping the pocket and scrambling. And this is what has gotten the Vikings in both of the matchups against the Bears that they have lost, is Mitch Trubisky converting a third and 10 on the ground because you didn't have a spy on him and your and your zone was carried way deep. And so what the, the, the strategy that I'm basically trying to suggest here is cover two shells. I don't need to see deep quarters with the whole defense sucking downfield because you're afraid of Allen Robinson. I want to see a lot of underneath defenders. I want to see a zone shell. I don't think Mitch Trubisky can pick apart your zone like Aaron Rodgers could or like Drew Brees could or like Russell Wilson can. I would rather test him on that. Rush with contain. I talked about that a little bit in the preseason, but in case you weren't with me, essentially what I want to do is I want to see the edge rushers, Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin, who are typically pretty bad at at keeping contain. They have let, uh, you know, mobile quarterbacks run outside and scramble and buy time. You know, if you are familiar with the narrative of the Vikings against mobile quarterbacks like Wilson and Trubisky and even Aaron Rodgers when he's healthy, although those days might be behind him now, I don't know. Well, one of the biggest causes of that is the edge rushers being too tenacious and kind of pinning their ears back and just like flying into the pocket. And they're actually pretty easy to evade if you're a mobile quarterback like Mitch Trubisky just because of their, Mitchell Trubisky, sorry, I've been saying it wrong. Uh, But just because of the way that, that like edge rushing works, it's pretty easy to evade those guys. And then you just bail out of the pocket from the side that they came from because you've lost contain and you can run, you can buy five more seconds for somebody to go improvise, scramble, get open, you make a throw, it looks like heroics, and, and we're all leaving frustrated. You can't let that happen. Don't lose contain. Push the lineman back into Mitchell Trubisky. And I think the Vikings have the coverage tools, even if Mackenzie Alexander doesn't go, I think that they have the coverage tools to make it so that Mitchell Trubisky has to improvise, and then you have to take that away from him by keeping contained, keeping him in the pocket, and eventually, you know, getting pressure on him either up the interior, where they have a bunch of problems, I'll talk about that in a sec, 
uh, or by just moving the tackles backwards enough where Mitchell Trubisky has to start making dumb decisions. That's how you can get him to throw bad, inaccurate passes. That's how you can get him to throw turnovers. So, okay, why is Mitchell Trubisky so inaccurate? So this was actually pointed out uh, the first time I at least heard it was actually Kurt Warner talking on the Westwood One broadcast of their Monday night game against Washington. So uh, essentially, that's uh, Kevin Harlan and, and Kurt Warner is doing color there. So essentially, what he was pointing out was that uh, Mitchell Trubisky looked really kind of skittish in the pocket, and that's because he was bouncing. He has a really bad habit of like bouncing on the balls of his feet. And even when he doesn't have to be, you're supposed to kind of stay flat-footed. And the reason for that is because you need to be flat-footed when you step into a throw so that you can create power using the ground as leverage, right? You need to be flat-footed to generate power on, on your throw. And if you're bouncing, you have to wait till, the, till you come to the bottom of your bounce to get flat-footed. So either you're screwing up the timing of the throw that you wanted, or it's just taking too long, or you're throwing off the balls of your feet and you can't get as much power, and then you have to like sail the ball because you're putting all your arm into it. And that's been happening a ton with Mitchell Trubisky. I went back and like looked at what Kurt Warner was talking about like around when he said that, and I was like, oh my goodness, yeah, he's throwing a bunch of inner, uh, uh, inaccurate passes because he doesn't have his feet set. Even though it's not a pressure thing, it's just kind of a like what you would expect from a rookie quarterback. There was actually a, a video from Brett Coleman where he broke down some of the stuff that Mitchell Trubisky messed up in, uh, I think it was in the first game against the Packers, the, the Thursday night game. Uh, he broke that down. I'll link that in the show notes as well, of just some of the other things that Mitchell Trubisky just like hasn't developed in doing yet. And I know this is a lot of talk about the quarterback, but I think it's the most interesting thing going on in Chicago, so I think it merits that. Um, but moving on from the quarterback, I do also want to talk about the offensive line because uh, I tweeted this out yesterday. Kyle Long, their starting guard and, and a longtime veteran, has been horrendous this year. He has been worse. He's given up more pressure than Pat Elfline and Garrett Bradbury combined this year. And he has a uh, about the same PFF grade as Garrett Bradbury, who probably is underrated by his his PFF grade. I'm, I'm feeling like comfortable enough to say that, but like not by much. I'm still a little concerned about Bradbury. But I would be even more concerned about Kyle Long if I were a, a Bears fan. And, and I tweeted that out and Lauren Cox responded like, yeah, no, he stinks. So so that is definitely an opportunity he's playing at guard right now, uh, an opportunity for Linval Joseph or for even Shamar Stefan, or uh, if even if it's like Hercules Madafa or something, somebody that maybe they can like generate some pressure against. Hercules Madafa actually has been quietly having a really nice rotational season. So that's 13 pressures from Kyle Long so far this year. There's actually been eight from Charles Leno Jr. There, I think they're right tackle, uh, and seven tackle uh, pressures allowed from Cody Whitehair, and PFF has actually credited seven pressures to Mitchell Trubisky himself, which might be confusing to you, but they will credit a pressure to the quarterback if the quarterback, like, moves in a way in the pocket that makes it so the offensive lineman who did have a good block suddenly has the wrong angle and the defensive lineman can get pressure now. Like, if they ruin it for themselves or if they hold the ball too long, uh, PFF will kind of make a judgment call there and assign a pressure to the quarterback, and they've done that seven times this year. All of those numbers are really, really high. For reference, Garrett Bradbury has allowed eight pressures on the year. Dakota Dozier allowed six in the one game. The really disastrous game was six. Pat Elfline has allowed four. So there are some real issues along that Chicago offensive line. I think that Daniil Hunter, who will probably go up against Charles Leno, actually, my apologies, uh, he's been playing left tackle, so that'll be Everson Griffin. Um, I, I think that that represents an opportunity where you can just like eat up, a, chew up a bunch of space in the pocket. You don't necessarily need to penetrate and start chasing the younger, faster guy. Just chew up a bunch of space. And I think that Everson Griffin can accomplish that against Charles Leno Jr. And, you know, with all kinds of problems everywhere else on the offensive line, I do think that they can get pressure and really, like, accelerate the process. 
and further allow you to get away with shallow coverages. So I want to see like these Tampa 2 shells. Let's get old school here. Uh, I mean, we're doing it on offense, right? But I just want to see, you know, I want you to take away those quick curls, those spacing concepts, those very easy reads that Matt Nagy is still having to give to his quarterback because his quarterback can't read complex defenses. Take that stuff away and make Mitchell Trubisky create and then take away his ability to create, and I think things will just fall apart. I think you can actually really shut down this Chicago offense, but on defense, of course, that is a different story. Now, before we get into things on the other side of the ball, I have a question for you. Have you ever gotten an overdraft fee? How much does that suck? It is time for them to die. It's time for banks to stop taking advantage of you. There is a place called Day. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Lockdown Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash locked on NBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and uh, respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. Dave.com, D-A-V-E, like the name. And its whole purpose is to save you from this burden. It costs $1 a month. That's 12 bucks a year. And Dave can help warn you about overdraft fees. It can help you manage your bills. And in the event something goes wrong and you would incur an overdraft fee, it can advance you 75 bucks to cover the thing for now with no interest and no credit check. Mark Cuban, owner of the Dallas Mavericks of Shark Tank fame, uh, he's an investor in Dave.com because he got slammed by overdraft fees in his 20s and he wants to make sure that nobody ever has to go through that again. Three million people use Dave to save up to $1,000 a year in overdraft fees. That's why it's the number one budgeting app in the app store. So go to dave.com slash locked on. Please do the slash locked on. It really helps us out to know that this is where you heard of dave.com and you can sign up and never worry about overdraft fees again. Spelled just like it sounds for immediate savings, D-A-V-E dot com slash locked on and at least buy yourself a little bit of peace of mind. Okay, so let's flip to the other side of things. Obviously, you know, running the ball and stopping the run. That's going to be like the narrative that all the coaches want to talk about in this game. Uh, real quick, the issues on the offensive line on the Bears are, are kind of as bad as they are in, in the run as they are in the pass. So I also kind of expect that you can kind of shut this down. It shouldn't be this hard. It's by the quarterback and play cover two. It shouldn't be hard. Anyways, on the other side of the ball, obviously you're facing this like juggernaut. And we know that the Bears is like full of superstars, right? Ha ha Clinton Dix is there. We are very familiar with him. He's probably the worst player on that defense, which is saying something about that defense. Uh, of course, there's Eddie Jackson who has you know, broken out a whole bunch. He's still very young, but he's very talented. You have Khalil Mack uh, against probably primarily Riley Reef, unless they still think that Brian O'Neill is the lesser of the two tackles, which I don't think is true anymore, which, whoa, kind of weird to like say that out loud, but I guess that's true now, huh? 
I mean, I've seen the Bears, like, rush Khalil Mack from the inside anyways, like, standing up, kind of like what the Vikings used to do with Brian Robeson. They do it with Stephen Weatherly now. Maybe they'll do that, you know, try to get him matched up on the weaker interior line of the Vikings. I could totally see that. They've got Roquan Smith. They've got Danny Trevathan. They have this awesome secondary with Prince of Mukamara and Kyle Fuller. I mean, they are star-studded all over the defense. And, I mean, most people agree, and I think that's a it's a pretty good argument, that the Bears' defense is more loaded than the Vikings' defense is, which is insane. I mean, both of these defense are in, are are insane. So moving the ball on either side is is going to be difficult. But essentially one thing that kind of stuck out to me was that Chuck Pagano had uh Lauren Cox men- mentioned this on Crossover Wednesday was that Chuck Pagano had moved to like different coverages to, from you know more like middle of the field closed looks to middle of the field open looks. So this is a really interesting thing that I wanted to bring up. Nick Olson pointed this out to me Nick, at Nick Olson NFL. Uh, but he was basically looking at some tape and he realized that a lot of the best offensive plays that the Vikings had achieved came against middle of the field closed looks. So what does that mean? Well, there's two different kind of, if you just want to divide all defensive sets into two categories, whether or not the middle of the field is open or closed. And all that is, is how many deep safeties are there? If it's odd, and that means you have one guy in the middle of the field, like in cover three, right? If somebody takes the left, middle, and right, or in cover one, you have one single high safety usually lines up in the middle of the field. That means the middle of the field is closed. You can't throw there. There's a guy there. Uh, and the middle of the field is open if it's cover two or cover, uh, cover four, and even like less so in cover four, because you could argue there's two guys in the middle. It's even less open. Uh, but in, in primarily, this is a, a way of describing like cover two shells, middle of the field open shells. So if you ran, you know, up uh, like a, a skinny post or something, or, you know, just found like a deep vertical up the middle of the field, you wouldn't technically have a safety right there in the way, and you can throw it there. This is just, this is a helpful distinction when you're talking about game plan and stuff. So the Vikings have had a ton of success against middle of the field closed looks they've faced it like 75% of the time, which usually that decision, that the defense doesn't make that decision like proactively, they usually make it reactively. It kind of depends, especially when you go up against a defense like Mike Zimmer's or like Paul Gunther's like last week, uh, you know, the, the decision is made based on the alignment. So you are aligning in formations that encourage the, the defense to give you a middle of the field closed look. Now, uh, middle of the field open or middle of the field closed looks each have their own kind of strengths and weaknesses and, you know, different counter for those different looks. It's kind of a personal preference thing, which one you would rather face. So the Vikings are choosing to go up against middle of the field closed looks and then running, you know, like seam routes and stuff or running, you know, four verticals against cover three. And this is kind of the way, you know, I've talked about this. I, I think it was the Tuesday episode. I talked about the, the, run game and how like it should be pretty easy Chicago just loads the box and then boom you win but if you bring that safety down in the box typically in modern defensive schemes if you bring a safety down in the box that means the other safety has to basically play single high he has to cover the entire deep part of the field because his partner in crime is down on the line of scrimmage helping with the run game so that creates a middle of the field closed look and then you can run like four verticals against that and a safety either has to carry somebody all the way from the line of scrimmage and that could be really difficult especially if it's somebody like Irv Smith who had such a great game against the Raiders but even then you might just not have enough people you might have you know three deep deep zones and four deep receivers somebody is going to have to choose you know, make a difficult choice to let that guy get open or let this guy get open. And that's the kind of thing, I believe the Vikings did get a really big uh, throw to Irv Smith based on this exact logic. And I know that the uh, the touchdown, the first touchdown to Thielen basically came against this logic. You ran uh, a deep cross-country concept. That's the one you'll see it all the time where Diggs and Thielen start on one end of the field and they kind of like make a big scissor 
with their uh, with their routes and kind of cross each other like 20 yards down the field. And it, it really does a good job of like confusing zones. And plus it just is reasonable at, at beating man coverage just because, you know, there's like this conflict all of a sudden, like 20 yards down the field. That is the concept that led to that long Thielen touchdown uh, to start off the game against Oakland. And a big reason that it worked is because uh, if I correct me if I'm wrong here, but the Raiders had a safety in the box because they knew that the Vikings wanted to run the ball so much. So this is one of those things that's like setting up to kind of counter later as soon as uh, Gary Kubiak and Kevin Stefanski want to pull that card out of their sleeves. Matchup wise, of course, we're going to get all kinds of interesting matchups. Whatever Khalil Mack uh, ends up doing, that will be something to watch him, you know, all game. I think Dalvin Cook versus Trevathan and Roquan Smith will be very interesting. Generally, those two guys, I expect them to get, you know, in to be in the right gaps and I expect there to be conflicts where it's Dalvin Cook needs to make Roquan Smith miss and that's what the play is like predicated on and I'm, I'm fascinated to see what happens there. I think Diggs and Thielen versus Amukamara and Kyle Fuller. I don't know what their shadowing strategy is going to be in this game. Of course it's always difficult when you have a Diggs and a Thielen. Do you shadow at all? Do you just play sides and say you know both of my guys are going to have to handle both of their guys so let them dictate the matchup. I don't care. It, it'll be a, an interesting matchup to watch uh, all of that stuff go down. But generally, I'll be really interested, and, I, and I'm going to go back and look at the tape of this as much as it pains me to watch Soldier Field All-22, and just look at what coverages the, the Bears threw at Kirk Cousins here. I, I really do expect them to load the box. I'd be super surprised if they didn't load the box all the time, just considering the reputation that the Vikings are getting, and I'm going to guess you're going to see all sorts of eight-man boxes. Now, that's not unmanipulatable, right? The, the Vikings can still use jet motion and, and unbalance that box, so if there's eight people in the box, but five of them are on the right and three of them are on the left, you can run left and you can be totally fine. That's just as good as a, as a as a plus box for you. And that's something that the Vikings have taken advantage of a ton as I go through all of their explosive plays. I'll link that thread in the show notes too. It's coming along nicely. And I think that that's going to be kind of how the rest of the season here is colored. I think teams are always going to load the box against the Vikings unless they really, really change the way that they are approaching games. And it's going to be a matter of, okay, now how do you beat that? You know, do you start using play action to beat it? I would guess that that's likely. Do you use these motion and, you know, try to manipulate the box and unbalance it and run against the unbalanced sides? I think that's a strategy that they'll also employ, but that's the kind of thing that I am looking forward to tracking as the season moves forward. But that is going to do it for today's uh, Chicago Bears preview. This is the last time we are going to talk until the game is actually played, so I will see you all on the other side. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. You can find the show anywhere you find your favorite podcast, and you can always ask your smart device to play podcast locked on Vikings. I will see you all on the other side of the Bears game. And as always, skull. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked on Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked on NBA network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about from the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night. It's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.